Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the GM Shuffle. I mean, there's going to be a fucking 30 for 30 on how this asshole kept his job. Like, seriously. He fired the I mean, OC. we got to do a 30 for... And then he comes out and he's as arrogant as could be. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos, as always. And Michael, uh, we haven't spoken since uh, Monday night, or Monday morning, I should say. How about them Cowboys, buddy? First playoff oh, victory man. in 30 I, years? Uh, <laughs> ready, we're ready we're to playing go. possum. Listen to you. Now <laughs> Now you're sticking your chest out. You were, yeah, we're playing possum. It. I'm nervous. <laughs> I don't worry about it. Now, now, all of a sudden, like a true Cowboy fan, you're ready to be the, you know, how about them Cowboys, you know? We're like, out of the shadows, like, buddy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, look, I mean, I didn't understand the line. I really didn't. I didn't either. You know, I know they were three-and-a-half-point favorites, but everybody made too much about the Washington game and not enough mm. about the season. And everybody made a lot about Brady turning on this the engine when in reality there was – the. The, the, the team was broken the entire year. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back to Cleveland when they got a 17-10 lead in the second quarter and they can't score another point to win that game and to cover. I mean, so I think people got duped into thinking there was just going to be this this engine light go on for Tampa when it was never going to happen. And, you know, look, how about that for the ugliest under you could ever imagine? Can you imagine <laughs> if you took the under? Like it, it, I, every week on on Sirius Radio on Mad Dog Radio, uh-huh. I do a hit with Chris Russo from five to five thirty, and we do the betting stuff. And then we get into the playoffs. We do we pick six things, and they're worth sixty to ten points mm-hmm. from sixty, fifty, forty, twenty, thirty, twenty down to ten. And so whatever your best pick is, you get sixty. And oh, good. So I think his third is his, his. I think his. The least pick that he – no, I think it might have been the 20-pointer. He took the Dallas-Tampa under. Wow. Okay? And, you know, and he may, and he hits it because our man misses four extra points. It's just unbelievable. It, 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 the, it was 48-and-a-half. It comes in at 48. That, that, that's just – it's unreal. Four missed extra points. First kicker in league history, I think, dating back to, like, the 1930s, to miss four extra points in a single game. But – 
Luckily for Dallas, it didn't cost them. I was getting nervous. I was like, hey, is this going to come back and bite them in the you-know-what? But uh, they were able to get the 31-14 to victory there. How about the reaction at Jerry's booth every time he missed a point? That was They were celebrating for the touchdown, and then all of a sudden they just went, you know, it was Billy Joel, sadness or euphoria. I mean, it was euphoria, and then they went to sadness. I mean, it yeah. was like unbelievable. Everybody's high-fiving everybody. It was a great. Yeah, you know? Michael Irvin, the playmaker, was in there hugging people, and then you saw a yeah. shot of oh, him. He, he was just happy because he was going to be able to say something to, to your man, Stephen, Stephen A. a. <laughs> because Stephen A, you know, I mean, I don't watch that show, but I'm on Instagram, and I, when he puts his cowboy hat on and he mm-hmm. kind of goes after the Cowboys – I mean, I think that's really good shit. It's, it's, I really do. I it's think good it's stuff. funny in that. It is good stuff. Yeah. I, I, the shot that was hilarious to me was Will McClay, who's uh, one of the higher ups there in the Cowboys front office. He he, he had his hands up with the, the number four. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sure he was talking about, wow, he just missed four extra points. Uh, it wasn't funny in the moment, but I guess looking back on it, it, it is a little bit funny. Hopefully he's gotten that all sorted out. But uh, uh, the, the, the organization says they're going to stick with Brett Maher. But they did bring in Tristan Vizcaino on the practice squad as, quote, insurance. So we'll see what that I is. I wonder, but. And, and we'll talk about this game later. We'll mm-hmm. break it down. But I think to me, if I were Mike McCarthy, I might carry two kickers into the game. Because wow, really? I, 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 I'm because what happens if he misses the first one? You putting him back out there again? You're gonna play. You're gonna play four quarters with him? I don't. See I don't. How you I can. don't think he can. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think I might. I mean, I'm if I'm either to me. My my belief would be to change kickers, although I know what they said. He's got you know, uh, he's got you know he's been so good all year. Mm-hmm. Get that, but I I don't want to go through the whole game with with the uncertainty, especially in a game where I know I need to make three points. I'm gonna like every drive against the 49ers, I can't let slip away because of a turnover, which is a missed field goal. So. Yeah. I think this is a really tough one. Now, I think I'll obviously practice. Like, I don't understand how, you know, this is why it drives me crazy with television. Like, you know this guy is can't make a kick. Why didn't we have a camera at halftime watching him warm up in the second half? Maybe he didn't do it, and I'm wrong there, okay? Mm-hmm. which, But I would think at most kickers at, at the end of the first half, they go back out and kick again. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's really weird that we didn't get that because it was the biggest storyline – in a game that it was the only storyline, yeah, because it was a domination by Dallas. So it's like, hey, can this guy make field goals? And it was almost like America was rooting for him on that last one to finally make the extra point. But yeah, I, I hopefully he got it out of his system on the air when I was watching. I was like, man, does Brett Maher have the yips? But uh, they're gonna stick with them. CD Lamb had some encouraging words to say uh, to, to tell him on the on the mic'd up sound stuff that the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, team put out there. They always cut up a little bit of video, and he had some encouraging words for him. Dalton Schultz, after the game in the locker room, said, we got your back, Brett. So the guys are saying the right stuff. We just hope that he can find that inner confidence. We'll talk more about the Cowboys, though, like Michael said, later on in this podcast as we preview the divisional weekend, my favorite football weekend of the year. But the ramifications from that game have been felt this morning, Michael, because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, moments ago, this was just tweeted from Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucs, longtime beat writer down there in the Tampa area, works for the Tampa Bay Times, tweeted that the Bucs have fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. The tweet says the team is making sweeping changes to their coaching staff following an 8-9 and regular season and wildcard loss to Dallas. As many as five offensive assistants and two on defense are expected to be let go. Your reaction to Leftwich out? as the OC well I, I you know I think Byron made a huge mistake I mean look he had the Jacksonville job 
and they offered him the job, and he turned it down because he didn't want to work with Trent Balky. And now mm-hmm. he's now he's not going to get another chance again, you know. And so you've got to when you're hot, you got to take your moment because I think what this tells you is how perception rules the NFL. Last year, left which was perceived as a great coach. This year, he's not perceived as a great coach, right? So when you have a chance to get elected, when you have a chance to get elected, you better take the election. You better you better go cash in on the election, because if this league is not about selection, this league is not about I'm going to hire the best guy. This is about the election, and left which is unfortunately is going to pay a horrible price. I mean, look, there's no design in the run game. That there was no continuity on offense. There was never a rhythm on offense, and you know, Brady, you could say, is done. Okay. I didn't see a lack of arm strength in Brady. I didn't see a lack of toughness in Brady. I saw a lack of coordination of the offense. And I think left alone, left which proved that he's just the job might have been too big for him. So when you have a chance to be elected and you don't turn it and you turn it down because you don't like the guy who's the general manager and you want to bring in your own general manager, I think you extend yourself a little too far. I mean, Balky. Whatever you think of Balky, he's done a good job of, of bringing players in there. Yeah, and so and Peterson, who won a Super Bowl, didn't have a problem with Balky, so he came in, he took the job. I mean, it's a little self indulgent, right? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, Byron's going to have to go be a quarterback coach somewhere. No one's going to give an offensive coordinator job. It's unfortunate, you know. It's an unfortunate because as a minority, he had a chance to become a head coach last year, and he didn't think the situation was right. Meanwhile. Peterson got the same deal. He didn't get any better deal. You know, they got to work. You got to work together with the guy. And frankly, you know, when you're in those situations, I'm not sure you could you could do that. You know, he shouldn't have turned that job down. Now he's his offense looks horrendous, and he will never. He'll probably never have another opportunity like that again because he's unless he's going to be in a, an elected position where he's really featured, it ain't going to happen. You hope that he can go back to the drawing board and, and correct the mistakes that he had as an offensive coordinator. And it, was it all on him? Probably not. But you could tell that the offense just never was really in sync from week one all the way through the end of the regular season and into the playoffs for this team. And it goes back to where we were sitting in March when we first started this podcast. I believe our very first episode together, Michael, was when Bruce Arians decided to step down. And then they named Todd Bowles the interim, not the interim head coach, but the permanent head coach and left which becoming the OC. And a lot of the discussion during that podcast and a lot of the discussion about the Buccaneers was that Arians was the one that was kind of meddling with the offense. And everybody said that Brady and Leftwich were on the same page and those guys would work throughout the week. And then Arians then would come in later on and say, hey, let's do things this way, this way, this way. I feel like we're learning that that narrative was probably misguided, I think, just based on what we saw from that offense this year. Yeah, I mean, there was no details ever handled. The line was a disaster. The line didn't play well from the beginning of the season to the end. And so, you know, the line coach, and there was injuries involved. There was no creativity in the run game. And so, therefore, the, 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 the problems mounted themselves. There was no adjustments. I love what Peyton Manning said on Monday, that these halftime adjustments are a joke, right? Yeah, I He's did right. see that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, no, there are never halftime adjustments. There are, there are in-between series adjustments. So why are they looking at those Polaroids? They're looking at the Polaroids. They're over there. You know, you can see it. The coaches are making marks on the thing because they're going to adjust from series to series, mm-hmm. not from half to half. You know, now if there's something that they can't fix, you know, the line coach might go in there and say, okay, you know, but they're doing that series to series. 
And the good coaches and the good teams in the divisional round, you know, they'll have a different style in the second half, not a that they've prepared themselves to execute, not a, oh, I'm going to adjust the game plan out. Does it surprise you that Bowles is safe after this first year with Tampa Bay as the head coach? I th- look, look, I mean, he got this whole staff dumped on him, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of unfair to him. You know, it's like, I'm sh- it's like, okay. You, you, you've saddled me with this. The quarter, I can't change the offensive staff, the quarterback. I mean, for Todd, the, one of the biggest problems at the Jets was his inability to get the, the, the offense fixed. You know, he hired Johnny Morton, then the front office there, you know, Hyman Berger, Hyman Dinger, and, and Mike uh, McKagan. They wanted to fire Morton. Then they brought, uh, they brought Jeremy Bates in, and that didn't work. So there was a bunch of changes there. So Todd's going to have to get this figured out going to be a challenge for him he's going to have to get this figured out and then defensively I mean I think he's you owe it to him to at least see if he can run a program with his coaches or the or the Mm -hmm. coaches that he feels like can help him the most but as we know in the NFL if you don't have a good staff as good as Belichick is if you don't have the right guys doing the right jobs it's not going to work might be a complete restructuring of that offensive staff, a construction of reconstruction of the quarterback position. Tom Brady. I know a lot of people are wondering what his future is yeah. going to be. We'll have a lot of time to talk about that, but kind of your early thoughts before we uh, move on to the next. Uh, well, I mean, look, here. I don't think I don't think fire and left, which was okay. Brady wants him fired and he'll come back. I don't, okay. I, I don't think Brady's ever going back to Tampa. I'll just say that. I, I would say ninety nine percent sure he's not going back to Tampa. In the NFL, there's nothing one hundred percent certain, mm-hmm. but. But that being said, I don't think I don't think that's going to be in play for him. I think he'll move on. I don't think the left which thing had had anything to do with it. I think what I've said and I have maintained for a long time. I wrote a column about this when I was still writing for the Athletic that Brady is institutionalized, like I am. You know, we're, we are truly like Brooks from from Shawshank. You know, we've been trained one way. We've been trained in a system that we're really comfortable in, and in that system, we feel the best and we feel confident. And we were execute, and our talents shine the most. I'm a much better personnel guy with in that system than I am not. But Brady's a much better quarterback when he's within that system and how they prepare than he's not. Now I'm not comparing myself to Brady by no means. I'm just saying that we're institutionalized <laughs> yeah. within the system. I got right? you. I got you. And, and so I think Brady has learned, like I learned through my career, that that it. You think everybody does it. It's like people say all the time, you know, more basketball coaches throughout the country or, or baseball coaches, they read Gridiron Genius. Very few football people read Gridiron Genius because they feel like well, we already do that. We already do that. Mm-hmm. That's the perception. Like, I don't need to learn from Bella. I, like, I already do that. I already done. Like, that's not going to help me at all. When in reality, you know, nobody, nobody does it. I, I was talking to a coach. Uh, who worked for a lot of different staffs and worked and you know and had been around the Patriot way and he said I thought everybody did what they did but until I was there until I saw it like it's not even close it's different now doesn't mean they're going to be successful I'm just saying the methodology and their process is completely different well you know that people are going to take these comments that you're saying about Brady being comfortable in the system that he was institutionalized in is that uh, there might be a vacant QB position here where I'm sitting in Las Vegas, Michael. You know, yeah, are- well, I mean, I think certainly <laughs> it's easy for people to one and one equals two, uh-huh. but I think it's going to be a little deeper than that. I think it's going to be comfortability. It's going to be, you know, I think there's levels with Brady, right? So if you if the Raiders sign Brady, 
It's a year, and then what are we doing the next year? You know, San Francisco signs Brady. It's for the year, and we got Brock Purdy, and we'll figure out what we're going to do with with Trey Lance, right? Mm -hmm. So we got that. You know, if Miami signs Brady, you know, what are we doing? We got Tua. You know, like it's all different circums. But I will say Brady will go somewhere where he feels the process is the right process for him. So if Sean Payton were to get a job, I mean, I would feel like Brady, even though it's not a New England process, Mm -hmm. I would feel like he would feel like he would be prepared to play at his highest level. All very interesting stuff. Brady going to be a free agent this upcoming offseason. I cannot wait to see how this thing unfolds. Let's continue on here, Michael, with your boy, Brandon Staley. I mean, he fires you the offense. You're giving them to me. <laughs> I'm giving them to you. I mean, there's going to be a fucking 30 for 30 on how this asshole kept his job. Like, seriously. He fired the I mean, OC. we got to do a 30 for – and then he comes out and he's as arrogant as could be. I mean, look, look, I, I mean, I'm not related to Joe Lombardi, but I like Joe Lombardi. I love uh-huh. the family. It, they, they, they mean the world to me. And Joe is a, a really good coach who was put in a position that, you know – he runs that offense, and when you don't have the tools around him to run that offense, like I've been saying, like to me, I'm not absolving anything that goes on, but when the when the design, when you blame the design on the production, right? So there's two elements, right? There's design and production, right? So let's take New England. New England, the design was bad and the production was bad. That offensively I'm talking about. Let's go to to New Orleans. Let's go to the Chargers. The design was wrong. The production was good. So they produced a lot of good numbers offensively. The design of not having a power running game was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that falls on the people who are partly responsible for the design. So you could fire Lombardi. That's fine. They'll change jobs. Everybody will move over, you know, but you never got, but you as the head coach, you're so brilliant. You never got control of the game because you never had a power run game. You never had the ability to slow the game down. You never improved your run game. You can blame Lombardi for that, but you kept trying to play with Eckler as opposed to going out and signing what we talked about last week. Why not sign Murray? He was on a practice squad. Mm-hmm. You would have put Murray on that team. Now they got a power back, and now Eckler becomes a better player. So for me, it's like, okay, and this guy continues. I mean, he acts like we're going to, oh, we're going to take it up another level offensively. How about if you take it up another level defensively? How about that, huh? He wins these press conferences. I got to give it to him, though, man. He really how? He, how does he win them? He I, lies I, he, his whole way through them. <laughs> that's that's what mean, I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's how he, he he's the politician up there. He's well spoken. You know, he see, he has a nice demeanor about him. He's somebody that's like, oh, that seems like a nice guy. I'd want to go out to lunch with him. You know, talk a little bit of ball. And and, and that's how he builds this narrative. Of, oh, Staley's. The genius, the defensive guru, and all that stuff. Like he, he truly wins at the podium. I think that's why he doesn't get under fire that much. Well, I guess now this past couple of weeks he's been under fire. I he, mean, like, well, I mean, he get he doesn't get under fire because those the people that love that he goes for it on fourth down can't see the forest for the trees. Well, they hate him. They now. don't see. Oh yeah, now they hate <laughs> they him hate right him because now. he's not going for it because he turned on them right. He turned on them. Yeah. I mean, look. The, I mean, here he is. You know, the Chargers. What the Chargers? They couldn't run the ball, but they couldn't stop the run all year. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, he he's the thirty second ranked yards per attempt defense in the league. I mean, they, they they're twenty eighth in yards allowed. I mean, like this guy, and he fires this guy, and he fires his. I mean, look, I mean, how how about accountability? Mm-hmm. How about like saying, okay, I'm accountable. 
you know, when you sit there, well, we just didn't do a good enough job in the second half. No, how about an accountability? I mean, look, here's the reason he does. I mean, there'll be a 30 for 30 for this on ESPN. Here's my take on why he didn't get fired. I think he didn't get fired because the Spanos family, A, counts their nickels. B, it, it, it's going to take $8 million to send him on his way. And then the new coach, the price of the new coaches now has significantly risen. If you want to get into a decent ballpark on these coaches, it's the, the head coach now, instead of being at $4 million or $5 million, it may be up to $8 million. So if you hire them, if you hire a new guy and you give them $8 million, you know, over a five-year deal, now you're talking about way more money, and now look at all the money you've added to your bottom line, whereas, whereas Staley is a cheap commodity. Here's the question, though. Who does Staley hire as his offensive coordinator? Say, if he hires anybody who's got substance and a demeanor and experience, mm-hmm. that guy's going to be the next head coach of the Chargers. Staley can't let that happen. Staley, Staley's too insecure. Point. As much as he has this false bravado out there, he's way too insecure to bring somebody in who's smarter than him. Because remember, this is the guy with 120 IQ that thinks he's got 170 IQ like we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. So he's going to have to bring in somebody that he thinks he can control because he doesn't want to give the Spanos family the chance to fire him and hire this person. It's Now he's in preservation of his desk, right? Now he wants to preserve his desk. That's what he's thinking. He's not thinking about going out and getting the brightest young mind. He's thinking about how do I preserve my desk? It's, yeah, CYA, cover your ass. That, that's, that's what it's become now. And that's a job that I feel like would be really coveted among offensive minds in football because of the quarterback that you get to work with. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But if, if Staley's in kind of job pr- preservation mode, maybe he ends up making a, 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 a worse hire well, I mean, to try to keep his he, job. Well, first of all, he can't, just, like, he can't call Detroit and hire Ben Johnson. No. Right? So he's got to be out there at the pool of who's available to him. Or does he know a young quarterback coach that he thinks could be a great play caller? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really his options. Like, you know, I mean, like, I mean, the uh, the the names in Washington that that Ron Rivera are interviewing are, I mean, are like, uh, you can't get like, who, I don't even know how he put together his list. I mean, Pat Shermer. I mean, so did he watch Denver at all? <laughs> Ken Sampisi has he ever watched him be a coordinator before? Like, seriously, like, like, are you watching these guys? Like, who are you going to hire? Like, who's out there that you're going to get that's going to be better than Lombardi was? Or how about if you made Lombardi, if you designed it better and then went into Lombardi and said, here's what we got to do. Here's how we have to change. Can you do that? Well, it's interesting that you brought up Ben Johnson because the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator was a hot name in this coaching cycle because of what Detroit was able to do offensively. And not just in the second half of the season, they were always putting up points, even when they were losing games in the first half of the season as well. And he decided to take his name out of the head coaching search and has re-upped with the Detroit Lions to be their offensive coordinator, saying that hey, he's confident and has faith that they're building something special in the Motor City. And with the five head coaching vacancies that we do have, I'm curious because a lot of these don't look super attractive on the surface. Now, maybe it is, and there's only 32 head coaching jobs, so somebody's going to take these jobs, of course. But with the Panthers, Broncos, Colts, Texans, and Cardinals, it doesn't feel like we have as great a head coaching jobs as we typically have. What do you make of this head coaching cycle that we've seen? And 
do we not have enough candidates or do we not have enough quality jobs? Uh, well, I think, you know, I think there's the, the lack of quality of the job, right? I think there's a, a sense that uh, next year is going to be a bonanza, right? Next year could be the bonanza. I mean, obviously, if Staley doesn't win next year, that job opens up. And mm -hmm. I think there'll be more of the same. I mean, there'll be more jobs. You know, what about Washington if they get a new owner? That could be a bonanza job, yeah. right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of these things that could happen. Or, you know, if you have the first pick of the draft a year from now, do you get Khalid Williams from USC and that's a bet he's better than any of these guys in this draft? You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. kind of that thinking. And if you're Ben Johnson, look, you know, why take a job? You know, if he, if he goes to Carolina, you know, and he gets offered whatever he gets offered, you know, he's, is he better off staying in? Is he better off staying in, in Detroit and you know, and getting a huge raise, which I'm sure he did, which is to me, it's common sense for Detroit to give him a huge raise yeah. to keep him as opposed to take the right job. You know, I think if you're Ben Johnson, you got to take the right job. And, you know, if you feel like you're going to continue to go back, whereas Leftwich, you know, he was, you know, he was with Arians. And so now he's on his own. I think that he took a risk and, and he lost the election. He should have taken it. So I do think the next year market is, is going to be, and I think that's going to entice Sean Payton too. I mean, does he wait around another year? That's kind of what I think is happening. I, I, Payton, he's going on these interviews, and he's done a number of them. I know he's done an interview with Houston, Carolina, Denver. It wouldn't shock me if he goes back to Fox and sits on the sidelines one more year. It seems like he's having fun doing TV. He's doing all sorts of hits on Cowherd show. He's on the Fox pregame show on, on Sunday mornings and all that, but – of the five head coaching vacancies that we do have, which one do you think has the most stable ownership group? I think it's Denver. I Denver, mean, I've asked yeah. people who've been through the Denver. I think it's Denver, and I think it's uh, I, I think it's because of the owner. I think he understands what needs to happen to have sustainable success. You know, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that uh, you know some of these other. I mean, Michael Bidwell at at, at Monty, Monty Ostroff took the GM job there. I mean, that, that's that's always kind of been in, in place. I mean, we'll see what happens in Carolina, how that works out. But I would say right now, I would say right now Denver because I think they know – they have a, a, a realistic understanding of where they are. It's funny you say Denver because I feel like that's the job that a lot of people rank the last just because of the quarterback that you're attached to and at the price tag that the quarterback uh, currently has. But – Ownership, and you heard even Sean Payton say it, ownership is the number one thing that he's looking for. It's not a quarterback. Obviously, everybody's looking for quarterback, but all these quarterback situations are uncertain. Otherwise, these jobs wouldn't be available. It's kind of where the deal right, is that's at. Right. But ownership is like his chief kind of concern and priority when he's aligning himself with an organization. But it is very fascinating that Denver is the top of that list, Michael. Let's take our first break, and we'll talk about the two GM vacancies that were filled in Arizona and Tennessee when we come back here on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... 
As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, we saw a couple of franchises select their GMs this week here. The Tennessee Titans hiring the 49ers director of player personnel, Rand Carthen, as their new general manager. And then we saw the Arizona Cardinals go ahead and take Titans executive Monty Ossenfort as their new GM. Uh, and let's start with the Arizona one, because I think that's the situation where it's a little, little more volatile because of the quarterback injury that Kyler Murray suffered there with the knee injury. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be playing in 2023, but if you were to talk to Monty Austin Ford or just kind of look at what his tasks are. What do you think is the first thing that he needs to accomplish now that he's taken over that job, uh, which was previously held by Steve, uh, Steve Kime? I think he needs to be in perfect harmony with the head coach. I think they, they have to be completely aligned philosophically and from a, a structure and of an understanding of, of how Monty, what Monty said at that press conference about what he's looking for in players to me, he has to find a coach not only who says those things, but wants those things. I mean, to me, if I'm Monty, I think the guy he's got to hire is Brian Flores. I think he's got to hire Brian Flores. And, you know, and let's build this thing together because they're both from that system. They both know the grading system that Monty – I mean, I'm sure they probably don't even have a grading system in Arizona. I mean, if they do, it's probably very basic. So I'm sure he's going to – you know, he's bringing a grading system – and but I think alignment with the coach is the only chance Monty has to be successful because there's still going to be some outside fashion. I mean, the owner even admitted that Steve Kime might still be lingering around in the building, yeah, which is very weird. You know, which which you know, and we know the owner and Steve Kime are best friends, so that's not a good thing. And so you're going to have to you're going to have to gain alignment. I mean, one of the reasons I think we were so we won in Oakland with when we were when we were winning in Oakland and Gruden was there, was there was alignment in terms of all of us wanting to get, like when we wanted to sign Rod Woodson, mm -hmm. you know, Al didn't want to sign him because it was going to affect Anthony Dorsett when we were all aligned to do that. When we wanted to sign Jerry Rice, Al didn't want to do that because it was going to affect James Jett, but we were all aligned to do it. When, when things happened at the Raiders that weren't connected properly, the alignment was... Al wanted, he had certain people that wanted to do with him and then other people, you know, so there wasn't that alignment. When there was uniformity on one side of the hall against what, now, I'm not saying Al didn't want to do it because obviously we did it. Those players showed up. They wouldn't have showed up there if he didn't want to do it. But the reality of it is, is I think that alignment that we created on our side 
allowed us to 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 be able to defeat the the enemy from within at times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Monty's got to avoid. I think that's a really good way to kind of frame it. There is that when you have everybody pushing towards something, it's a little bit easier to convince the head chief decision maker when everybody's aligned in that instance there uh, with the Raiders and the example that you brought up. How about in Tennessee, though? Rand Carthen coming over from San Francisco, now taking over. He has a head coach in place, one of the best head coaches in the National Football League in Mike Vrabel. But the quarterback situation is interesting. Ryan Tannehill, the Titans could move on from him without much of a dead cat penalty this offseason. And it feels like it's a roster that's a little bit in transition going from old to young here. What advice and what kind of task do you think Rand Carthen has as he steps into that role? He's got one job. He's got to fix the quarterback. He's got one job. He's got to fix the quarterback. He's got to be honest about Willis, you know, because, you know, he can't hang on to that prayer. You know, he can't Bon Jovi that one. You know, he can't live on a prayer on that one. So he's got to move, you know, he's got to figure that one out. And then he's got to decide on how he's going to proceed moving forward, you know, because everything else is secondary. I mean, yeah, you got to get better players, but that's why you're there. You wouldn't have had that job if they're a talented team. I mean, the owner was obsessed with San Francisco's depth that they had, you know, and I'm not saying Rand Carthon's not responsible for some of that depth, but if you understand what actually happens in San Francisco, San Francisco and New England are the two teams that are run pretty much one guy does all the decision-making, you know, and, and, and when he was having a bad one, he, you know, and that's when that, that's when the Trey Lance thing kind of go through. I think now that he's back kind of more of himself, I think you'll see that. So a lot of the, the decisions that were made there are made from his chair, and, and Rand's going to have to prove he can go out there and get those players, but he's got a hell of a coach, and he's in a great job because the one thing about the coach he has, he'll develop the talent, which is all you need. He's got to fix the quarterback. Now, I might ask you a question. Yeah. You think he goes after Trey Lance? Ooh. Somebody in that building convinced them to take Trey Lance. I don't know if it's John Lynch or if it's Adam Peters. Oh, it was, I, I could tell or, you it was Lynch and Adam Peters. It was okay, those it was two Peters, guys. It was those, those two guys? Okay. Yeah, those two guys. I mean, that's what I've been told reliably, that they fell in love with them. And they thought the, the whole the, – so we understand this. The whole idea behind Lance was to, to, evo, to uh, uh, elevate the, Kyle's offense, which people felt like was getting stale. Mm-hmm. How, do you think it's stale? Did it look stale last week? That was the whole conversation. I hope it's stale on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's, yeah, it doesn't look stale to answer your question. It looks pretty damn good with what they've been able to do on offense. But Lance, we, don't, we still don't know. I feel like we don't have a solid evaluation about what he is as a quarterback, which is I thought it was the biggest, I don't know how you can say that. Thing. How can well, you we say seen, that? We, we haven't seen him Brock play, Purdy. We, we watch. We, we saw him, him play in the first game of the year. Yeah, that, that's what we, we saw we, him play in the preseason. Three, we have three games of Trey Lance. We had one game with Brock Purdy, and it was pretty clear. Like, how can you say that? Brock Purdy's a rookie. We we watched two rookie. One the last pick in the draft. One the third pick in the draft. The last pick in the draft looks like he's ready to play. The third pick in the draft looks like he has no chance to play. Well, this is where I go back to where Brock Purdy was in college, and he started how many games? Forty plus games well, at Iowa State. Lance, he yeah, missed the whole season because of COVID, only played one game in that year. So you got to go all the way back to, I think, like 2019 when he was regularly playing football. I think these guys are going to come along at different paces just because Lance simply hasn't played. Yeah. You keep making excuses. <laughs> just not, keep doing saying, it. I'm not making just excuses. keep making excuses. <laughs> one guy comes in and plays well. The other guy can't even make a throw, 
and you got a and you know you got a bucket full. You got Batman's utility. I got another excuse over here. Here it comes. I got one here. But here comes another one. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm just, I'm just saying, you might be right. Lance might be bad. You might be wrong. He, he might is be bad. good. I mean, but look at him. I don't think we can have a fair assessment of what he is because he's played three NFL games. Yeah, we can. Why do you think they signed Garoppolo? For insurance. <laughs> no, because they have flight back to Houston after they played a preseason game, you know, where they tried to play the game to get ready to play the Bears on the opening day. That was an abomination. So why do you think he was their week I one said starter? it on the pod. I said, I promise you, Kyle Shanahan said on this airplane flying home, get me, get me Jimmy Garoppolo. I said it on the pod that, that weekend. We go back and we can, Elliot can cut it out. Like it was obvious. There was no way. So why do you think he – Keep making excuses. Well, Just keep well, making them. Well, Shanahan's the same head coach that made Trey Lance their week one starter against Chicago. What was the? I think what he was had no choice, point? right? I mean, don't he have any? I mean, he had no choice. They he, went all he, in. I mean, he got it. He, he had the great Brock Purdy on the bench. He could have gone to him. Well, I think to <laughs> me, look, Brock Purdy. I don't think anybody felt the way about Brock Purdy at that point. But now, after all these games, I mean, how do you? Let me ask you this: If Brock uh-huh. Purdy gets to the Super Bowl or gets to the conference championship game, who's the starter on San Francisco next next uh, July when we start camp? Who's their starter? It's Brock Purdy. Yeah. Of course, it is. Yeah, Purdy will be the starter. That's why if it, that's why all these geniuses that love Trey Lance, we're gonna find out because mm-hmm. they could if 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 Carthon loves Trey Lance and thinks he's a star and he has any decision making power in Tennessee, I don't know if he does or not. Sometimes you get these GM titles, they have no real power, so we gotta understand that. Mm-hmm. But if he has any influence and if he likes him and if he thinks he's gonna be good from watching practice tape, then Tennessee will be highly interested. If Tennessee's not interested, it tells the entire National Football League he's got no chance. I think this young quarterback market with Trey Lance, and even you can throw Jordan Love into this ring as well. I think that's going to be something that is bubbling. We're talking about all the veteran guys. Brady, of course, is going to get the headlines. Derek Carr, people are talking about him. Where is he going to go? But I think Lance and Jordan Love are the ones that I'm most intrigued by. Lance, I, I simply, my thing on Lance, Michael, is that I don't, I don't. I'm not as sure as my evaluation of Trey Lance. Did he look rough? Of course he did. He looked horrible in those games earlier this year. But also, we've seen quarterbacks look bad, but then also progress as well. And Lance, I'm willing to give him at least a slight benefit of the doubt, just because he hasn't played consistently for going on now three and a half years. Maybe when There's he actually no coach gets those in reps. Football. There's no coach in football who makes the quarterback position easier for the quarterback than Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan. There's no coach. Uh, agreed. Okay. Yeah. And Lance couldn't operate in that. He was trying to make it easy for him, and he couldn't operate. And so, like, okay, maybe he needs more time. We'll give him more time. Yeah. I have my doubts. You know, I have my doubts. There's no coach that makes the – I mean, from Matt Schaub to to any Hoyer quarterback that played and, there, yeah, Hoyer, Garoppolo, all those guys, It's the game's easier. Now, what happens to them – when they get behind, if they get behind against Dallas, say they're down 14 to nothing in the third quarter or something happens, mm-hmm. they have to come back where the quarterback can't rely on these plays that are schemed so perfectly and called so perfectly. Guys are so wide open, right? When it's, I got to throw it, and you know I got to throw it, and you got to throw it from a drop-back game, not from a play-action game, mm-hmm. Well, then, then Purdy would show up as the seventh rounder. But he doesn't have to do that. 
It's one of the best front-running offenses. And I don't say that as like a, a disrespect because when they get it rolling and they can play from in front and they can dictate the terms, it's as good an offense you'll see in the NFL. It's and, as good. And he's the best play caller in the league because yeah. he called – like that call he made on the sideline down there and Purdy threw a horrible ball. Yeah. Purdy threw it too close to the safety. It almost got picked off. I mean, the kid made the play on it, but it, made it, 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 it could have been picked off. So – you know, I mean, the guy knows how to call the right play at the right time, and he knows how to set up his offense, and he knows how to attack the adjustments within the defense, all the things that great play callers can do. I just don't want you to close the book on Trey Lance, all right? Oh, I mean, you can you can keep reading it. I mean, go ahead. I mean, you know, <laughs> to, to you're, like the kid, you're like the kid. You know, you know who you're like with Trey Lance? You're like the kid who found Playboy for the first time, <laughs> and he can't and – he, and he can't – and he's got to keep looking at it, like – <laughs> He's got to keep looking at it. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> We're going to take another break. I like that. That's a good one. We're going to take another break here. We'll discuss. Watch the tape on the other side. The Philadelphia Eagles are putting them under the microscope here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's continue our watch the tape segment here, Michael, as we head into the divisional round weekend. The number one seeds, Kansas City and Philadelphia, coming off of the bye. But let's focus in on the Eagles because they were 14-3 and this season. So much talent across the board, offense and defense. But I want to talk about this defense, specifically their secondary, because the narrative about this Eagles team is that they're a Super Bowl caliber defense. They're ready to rock. No holes whatsoever. But what's the truth when you actually put on the film? Well, I mean, they have vulnerability in the secondary. There's no denying it. I mean, they're for all the conversation that they're this lockdown man-to-man. See, th- this starts with most of the time that people think every coverage is man-to-man. It really starts with that. And and the Eagles are not a very good man-to-man team. They're just not. Now, you know, when they have Gardner Johnson in there, it gives them a safety that can cover. And when Maddox plays, they have a better nickelback, but he's hurt. But they're, they're not a good man-to-man team. And when they have to play, and they don't play a lot of man-to-man. They want to play zone. They want to play cover two. They want to play, you know, some mixed coverages. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really get a chance to see that, right? So when they go into Dallas against a good quarterback, you know, Dallas throws the ball fairly well against them for 304 yards. 
right? You know, when they play against Detroit in the opening game, you know, Detroit wasn't Detroit that we know. I mean, the the thing with the thing with Philly is when you look at their numbers statistically, you say, oh, they're good defensively. You know, they're 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 the fifth best team in getting interceptions. They're the tenth best team in in uh, they're the first best team defensively in passing yards allowed. Well, I mean, who have what quarterbacks have they faced? I mean, Rodgers in Week Twelve, they weren't playing very well. Rodgers threw for two thirty six. They had two picks. Tell me another quarterback you want me to talk about. I mean. Goff, at the beginning of the season, they scored 35 on them. I'm not sure they were ready to go. And then, you know, Prescott at the end of the year. I mean, they haven't really had to play against the elite quarterback. And this week against Daniel Jones, you know, he's not the elite player. Their Mm -hmm. scheme helps Daniel Jones quite a bit. But, I mean, to me, there's a vulnerability. But the problem to get to that secondary is you got to block them. That's why they're the, the best team in the league in sacks. You know, they can pressure you with four guys. You know, what Philly wants to do is pressure with four, play zone, keep the ball in front of them, don't give up big plays, right? They're fifth, what I say, they're they're they're, they're, they're number one team in, in a yards per allowed in the passing game. So they don't give up big plays. And because of that, you know, they're, they're able to keep the ball in front and you got to block them because they're like San Francisco. You got to block them on a continual basis week after every single play. And it's hard to do. But if you can block them, you're going to throw the ball on their secondary. You're going to win one on one matchups. Bradbury's can't cover man to man. Bradbury can't cover anybody. So you're going to win that one. And we- Slay, you know, for all this conversation, he's a shutdown corner. Mm-hmm. He might have been at one time. He's a good player. I mean, you know, in the grading system, he's a 62 player. He's not a not a top five corner in the league. He's not going over there saying you got Justin Jefferson, just shut him down. Like, no, you're gonna have to give him. Now, could he go shut down the number two receiver? Yeah, I think he could probably do that. He'd probably play him well. But he's this isn't Revis over here. Now, let's not confuse it, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the Philly secondary, they've had good moments on, on tape because of what you mentioned about that pass rush. I mean, I'm looking at their numbers. They have four guys with double-digit sacks on that defensive line. Hassan Reddick, Javon Hargrave, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat. Like They have so many guys that can affect the quarterback, and it's made some of those guys on the back end a little bit, uh, I don't want to say overrated, but it's made them look What's a little bit game, better though, than what fam? they are. I mean, that's yeah. the game. That's why... When you draft a corner in the top five picks of the draft, he mm-hmm. better be Rod Woodson. He better be Deion Sanders. Yeah. Because if he's just if he's Jeff Okuda, he's just good, not great. You, mm-hmm. you, if he needs everybody needs the pass rush. Look, when you were a kid playing in Seattle on the in the backyard, yep. when it was three Mississippi, you were probably the best coverage guy out there. You <laughs> fucking dominated. When it was three Mississippi, when it was five Mississippi, you probably weren't as good. If it got to seven Mississippi, you sucked. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Take that principle, that that, that simple backyard football principle and apply it. That's the Eagles. If the Eagles play against a team that makes them count to five Mississippi, you'll throw the ball on them. But if they only got to count to three Mississippi, they're going to kick your ass. That's it. That's what it is. And everybody wants to make you know, they want to blitz more. If the Eagles blitz more and play zero coverage, it's easier for the quarterback because he knows I'm going to look for Bradbury's guy, I'm going after him. Right? Or yeah. I'm going to look for when Maddox isn't on the field, I'm going after the nickel guy. Boom, I'm going to make a throw. Like, if they played Cincinnati, Cincinnati would have to block them, 
But Cincinnati would destroy them in the secondary. They would, I mean, they couldn't cover any of Cincinnati's receivers. The problem is, this is why football is a game of the trenches. Because if you can protect, if you make the defense count to five, Mississippi, you're going to win. You're going to throw the ball against anybody. Do you think that their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, who's been up for head coaching jobs for now two years in a row, do you think that he's maximizing the personnel that they have there on that defense? I think he's hiding it. I think he's hiding it. I mean, uh-huh. I think what he's trying to – yeah, he is. He's got – you know, look, he's got 70, what, 69 sacks, mm-hmm. right? So he's he's letting those guys rush. And think about it. Now, he has 69 sacks, okay? Mm-hmm. So Riddick's got 16. Sweat's got 11. That's 27, okay? Hargrave's got another 11. That's 38, all right? And Graham's got another 11. That's 49, and Fletcher Cox has got seven, okay? Mm-hmm. That's 56. Milton Williams has got four. That's 60. 60 of the 69 come from the down guys. Mm-hmm. They don't come from the linebackers. They don't come from the corner. They don't come from anybody but those guys that rush all the time. So rush them. Look, mm-hmm. rush them. Rush them. You know, and and make them make the offense have to block them, and then when you want to be creative, rush five so that the offensive line has to block one on one. When you have a dominant defensive line, rush five. When you have a bad offensive line, rush three, rush seven. You know, don't ever just rush four because when you just rush four with a shitty defensive line, they can block you, and you're counting the seven Mississippi. Do you think that there's teams in the NFC that are still a Alive that can make the Eagles play in five Mississippi, seven Mississippi. Can Dallas and San Francisco yeah, because, do those? Like Philly can. Phil, I mean, San Francisco could because okay. San Francisco is going to figure out how to run the ball. Look, to this weekend, I mean, if you go back and watch the game, the Giants could run the ball. Now, where the Giants, they got behind, they they couldn't, you know, they got the third and long, they couldn't protect, you know, and, and it's 21 to nothing. They turned it over. It's 21 to nothing before you could sit down. They got the block punt, they made it 21 7. They kind of, you know, it's 24 to 7. They kind of, they, and then the offense, the offense then took over. Because when the offense gets that lead, that makes you as an offense have to throw it all the time. And yeah. that's when the Eagles defense shines. But if you stay close to them and in balance, and you could run the football where you have a little bit of a success running the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And you can run it on them. I mean, team, they give up 4.6 yards a carry, but you can run the football on them. The problem is you can't run it on them when you get behind. I think it's it's one of those things with Philadelphia where it's not easy, but it's simple. Every team goes in knowing what they have to do, but it's easier said than done because it's, hey, block them, block the front four, exploit the secondary. Well, that front four is pretty damn good. <laughs> the guys that they have in that front four, and you just mentioned it, 60 sacks from those down defensive linemen there. It's one of the best, probably the best defensive line in football. It's one of the reasons why we like that team updating all the way back to May. And the folks that want yeah, to go because, ahead, listen, I mean, the, you can the, check the receipts. We, whatever we talked you wanna, about the Eagles. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie, when he bought the team, you know, and Joe Banner came in with them, and those guys, they, mm-hmm. their whole philosophy was set around offensive and defensive line. We're going to be we're going to be strong in the lines. It's a great and that philosophy. hasn't changed since he's owned the team. Yeah, It's a fantastic philosophy. Game one lost in the trenches, despite what people will tell you. Let's take our final break, Michael, on the other side. We'll get to my favorite weekend in football, the divisional round here on the GM Shuffle. 
All right, it's the moment of truth. Now it's our game previews for this weekend in the divisional round. And we have four awesome games, I think. I thought that was probably the best combination of games that we could have gotten from Super Wild Card Weekend. Let's start Saturday afternoon. Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs coming off of the bye. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, they've been stellar at home in the playoffs other than last year's AFC Championship game. Uh, Kansas City, though, at our show sponsor, DraftKings, laying 8.5 total is at 53, the highest total of the week, and a lot of points expected at Arrowhead. You know, and it's funny. When you go back and watch the last game, and I did, I studied the last game this week, and mm-hmm. and it was it was an interesting game to study because Jacksonville tried to play it the right way. They just didn't, they couldn't get it done. I mean, they just couldn't execute well enough offensively, particularly on third down. But they had the right idea, right? They came into the game. They went onside kick. Got it. Yep. Gained a possession right from the start, right? But they they got one first down and they had a punt, you know? And then, you know, they they got the, the, they got behind and they got back in the game, but then they missed a field goal. So instead of going into halftime 20 to – I think they went into halftime 20 to 10. It should have been – it could have been 20 to – or it could have been 20 to 10. But instead it was 20 to 7. No, it was 20 to 10 at the half, but it should have been 2013 at the half. You know, Buckner misses ex- makes an extra point in the game. And then, you know, they missed two field goals, and they just did eat. And even though the Chiefs turned it over three times, Chiefs turned it over once in the red zone, but the Chiefs were dynamic in the red zone. They four out of five times they scored the one time they turned it over. So, this to me, the score of that game, Femi, I think is a little misleading. I really think it's misleading in the sense that. I think this line is tilted a little bit too heavy in that area because I, I think that was a closer game than we all think it was. I really do. I think it was a closer game than we think because they played them. You know, they were going into a bye week the next week. They had a bye after the game. And so, you know, and you looked at it and you say, okay, here we are. We got a chance. And, and they just they had the right idea. They just didn't execute the right idea. And that's what happens to you. So, you know, and they held the Chiefs scoreless in the fourth quarter. They rallied back. They scored late. But to me, they've got to be better on third down. They've got to do a better job in the red zone. And they've got to be able to, you could say, well, they've got to control the football. They controlled it 32 minutes in the last game. They can't have, they can't have missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, and in the game, Lawrence wasn't as sharp. He's going to need to play it on an elite level. If Lawrence plays at an elite level, this line he'll cover. If he doesn't, then I think you're in jeopardy of it. Doesn't it concern you a little, though, with his Jacksonville defense? I mean, they gave up 7.8 yards per play in the last outing, 486 yards. Mahomes was 26 of 35, four touchdowns, one interception, but he was 331 yards through the air. Now, I know Kansas City was hyper-efficient on third down, 7 of 10. I don't think that's reputable, but I just get concerned of – can Kansas City on offense be able to name their score and pretty much go down the field at will against this Jags defense? I mean, when the game was close, Valdez Scanling made a play like you couldn't believe, like you couldn't believe in the game. I mean, it was like unbelievable. It was a 36-yard catch right by the Chiefs' sideline. It was unbelievable. And a lot of things that happened in this game, uh, I think, were reflective on the, the Jaguars got called for illegal men downfield, pass interference on offense, on – they're trying to run their outside bubble stuff to get away from the inside pressure from Spagnola, and they got called for a guy downfield, or they got mm-hmm. called for a blocking 
you know, and it kind of was nitpicking calls. It really was bullshit, and it kind of took them out of their rhythm. I think if they can get the, if they don't get those calls, you know, I think they got a chance. This was the Tony coming out party game, right? Yep. Kadarius Tony was really the difference in the game. He had a 32 yard run in the game. He, you know, he had four catches and a touchdown, and it was Pacheco's running. The power and the angry way that he runs was the difference. So, do I think they they got to play better? There's no doubt. They got to stop them. They got to get some tip balls. They got to get you know. The, but they got three turnovers and they still couldn't do it. Yeah. They played the right way. Sometimes you play the right way and lose. And so, but you know the right way to play. See, that to me is the most encouraging thing going in there. That they know the right way to play. They just didn't execute it. Who do you think wins the game? Oh, I think Kansas City wins it, but I, I think yeah. eight and a half is a lot of points. I think this line's inflated. I mean, on my power rankings, I have is a four point four seven game. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That'd... I mean, I, I mean, like, look. Do I think now if they get behind like they did in this game, I think it'll be hard. But here's where I think you got to Kansas City's in the top tw- top top twelve in nine in those nineteen categories I talk about all the time. They're in the top twelve and fourteen. Jacksonville's in the top twelve and ten of them. So there's the Jacksonville's, you know, this is going to come down to what do I always say about playoff games? Your best players must play their best. Mm-hmm. This game, Lawrence has to be deadly accurate, like he was when they played in Tennessee. He's got to play great. And and they've and, and ATN's got to play great. And so does Kirk. All their best players have to play their elite level. And that still might not be good enough. They're going into a buzz. But I think it's a closer yeah. game. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going into a buzz side arrowhead. Hey, they're a the better line. team. Let me say this to you. They're a uh-huh. better team than Cincinnati was last year that went in there. Wow. They're a better team. Wow. And it, 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 it's, it might sound crazy to a lot of people listening to that, but if you follow the betting markets, there have been a lot of respected, sharp bettors who have loved Jacksonville from week one. They were all in on this Jaguars team, and they kind of let they them down. They have a lot the of talent. Yeah, they have a lot of talent. Now, look, I, I mean, Andy Reid and a go. I mean, first of all, when does when does Kansas City they rarely cover? But the reason I think they're a better team because they they have a better offensive line. Yep, I think they could rush. Cincinnati could rush. The difference is I don't trust Patterson. Where last year McPherson was deadly. Yeah, right. Patterson, you know, I don't trust him to make kicks, especially clutch kicks. Yeah. So. But in terms of their overall talent level, you know, they don't have chase, mm-hmm. but they've got good receivers, you know, and they've got good running backs, and they can run better than Cincinnati could run the ball. And they, they have a better head coach, too. Doug Peterson, he's won a Super Bowl. Well, I he's, think they have – I think the one liability – Lou Amaromo yeah. is, it, is better than Mike Caldwell at this point. Now, Mike Caldwell will grow up from this game the last time they played him, but I do think that gave Cincinnati advantage. There's no doubt. Yeah. I do like the confidence though, that Doug Peterson gives this Jaguars team. Like it feels like those guys they believe in what Doug is selling them, and Doug has won a Super Bowl, and he's like he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles at quarterback, so he has to be doing something pretty good there uh, in Jacksonville. So I think it'd be an last time they played game. Femi, it was a nine point. They were a nine point favorite. Well, Jags were definitely improved since then, but Kansas City and the over under was fifty one. <laughs> the over under was fifty one. I hope we get some points in that game. That's going to be a fun one Saturday afternoon. I, I like Kansas City to win that game as well, but uh, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down on this being a little bit more competitive than people think it will be. Saturday night, 
over at the link in Philly. A good old-fashioned NFC East rivalry renewed. Giants taking on the Eagles. Eagles seven and a half point favorites. Total sitting at 48. Looks like they're all clear on the injury front with Jalen Hurts. He practiced in full on Wednesday. He should be good to go. Lane Johnson practiced as well. He should be good to go. Avante Maddox is the one guy who might miss this game. But uh, Philly, pretty much all systems go here as they're coming off of the bye. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to play. They're going to try to play, right? I mean, can Lane Johnson play? The guy needs surgery. I mean, he's a tough kid. Can he go through the game? I mean, that remains to be seen. You know, how? I mean, can Hurts get through the game? Now, the good thing is, it's going to be really warm. It's going to be almost 50 degrees here in Philly. Nice. So you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about that hard concrete turf where Hertz hits his shoulder. Look, the last time they played in the Meadowlands when the Giants got blown out, the Giants gave up too many big plays, too many explosive plays, and they couldn't get into any sustained rhythm offensively. And they got behind in the game, and the Giants can't get behind in the game. They have to stay attached. You know, they have to be able to stay attached, and they've got to, they got to run the ball. I mean, they, could, they ran the ball on Philly the last time, mm-hmm. but, they, but they get behind, and it's hard to keep running and keep calling runs. And I think it'll be a hard game for the Giants. I think they're better than they were because they're, they, they're healthier than they were the last time, but I think it's going to be a hard game. I think the longer the game goes, Philly could come out, Kansas City and Philly, because coming off the bye, they could come out with a little bit of rust. Mm-hmm. And if that happens – you know, you got to take advantage of it and stay attached because both these teams, Kansas City and Philly, when they're playing from in front, man, they're hard <sighs> to play. Yeah, especially Philly with that run game. And if they have everything rolling, that is a tough wagon to stop. How do you think Wink Martindale kind of plays this? Do you think that he goes back to the to the blitz-heavy route, or do you think that he kind of tries to play this off? No, I, I think he's going to attack. I mean, he had some blitzes that got home free against him the last time. The problem mm-hmm. was he couldn't hold up in the back end. So I, I think he's got to stop. He's got to stop the run outside in. It hurts hurt him last time in the run game. Had a run, touchdown and make big throws with his arm. I think he's got to take away the big play. He's got to take away the big play. I think he's got to pick his spots on when he needs to attack the quarterback. You know, and he's got to be able to do a good job of when he does that. And he can't give up the tight end screen. You can't give up the cheap yards. You got to make them earn it. But you can't let the ball get thrown over your head. You know, and you got to be able to tackle the talent. You got to tackle AJ Brown. You know, and you got to make a play. I mean, they get beat on a touchdown. Remember, Waddle runs, they run that pick play, and, and the kid, and, the, and it looks like it's going to get picked off over on the sideline. And, you know, the kid doesn't make a play on it. Waddle scores a touchdown. They, they had opportunities. They need to make plays. You know, it's going to be a hard game for them, but they, they have a, they, the, the longer the game goes that they stay attached, the confidence in the Giants will shine. And you, the Eagles will get more nervous, especially yeah. that stadium will get very. Very, very worried. Fast, and that's the only real chance. And then, and then they've got to they got to have the ball last and win it. Then, yeah, <laughs> let the Eagles start the game with two straight three and outs and see what that sounds like on Saturday night at Lincoln yeah. Financial Field. <laughs> Those Eagle fans don't give a damn about no fourteen wins. It's what have you done for me lately? Uh, I laid the seven with Philadelphia at open. Uh, I, I think the Eagles are just the better team. I think that talent really, especially in the second half, will uh, will will shine through with Philadelphia. And I, I think that Hurts is a healthier. He should be good to go. Lane Johnson, he's going to have to fight through it, but he's a, as tough as anybody, as you'll see in the NFL. I think he'll be able to make it through the game there. I Look, just, the, if you go back and watch the game, Femi, and you should mm-hmm. watch it. I mean, the Giants' front gave him some trouble. The Giants' front gave – I mean, they gave him some trouble. They, mm-hmm. Even when Lane was healthy, they gave him some trouble, and they and they weren't 100% there at the Giants. I mean, like this is not going to be pushover page here. No, like, yeah, I don't think they're going to. You know, they're going to give him some trouble, and if he's not a hundred percent, it's going to be hard. And 
look, I, I think the Eagles win. I think seven and a half. I have it at 7.31 games, so for me, it's almost a push. But do you think that the Giants can block Philly's front four? We talked a lot about Philly's defense. No, I think on the that's last the segment. problem. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's Thomas I struggled against Sweat. I mean, but I think what you're going to see out of the Giants, I think you're going to see the same thing we saw last week. I think you're going to see a little bit of the Eagles are going to get a little bit of their own medicine. I think the Giants uh. are going to run that six back offense. I think right. you're going to see Daniel Jones start to run more because, you know, what are we saving him for? This is it. We're yeah. going to need him in there. Yeah, maybe it'll be a little bit of Daniel Jones on the ground. He had 70-something yards against the Vikings. So, But that Vikings defense is a significant drop-off from what we'll see. From that, like I, Anybody defense. who sits there and wants to pay Daniel Jones $45 million after that Viking game, like <laughs> at some point, like let's just slow down. Like that, Tell me one throw – that the scheme didn't really give him a great opportunity. I think he played really well. Don't yeah. get me wrong. And he I executed. think the Giants should re-sign him. A lot of it's going to be on what, what the contract is for me. But that being said, and, and the reason I say that for me is because he can't eat all, like in Tony Soprano, you can't eat all the macaroni. Like, you got to <laughs> share like He got to share it, right? And yeah. so, you know, I think that's it. Because some of those throws, that they came from Kafka. They came from Dayball. They didn't come from – him making a play where when you watch Patrick Mahomes sometimes, they come from Mahomes. Yeah. I think it's a line that you always say, Daniel Jones, you're not it, you're part of it. So like let's not right. get it, let's not get it confused here with what he did. But hey, tip our hat to him. He played well last Sunday. Cincinnati, we'll get over to Sunday. This will be Sunday noon, West Coast time, three o'clock Eastern. Cincinnati's taking on the Buffalo Bills in Western New York and our show sponsor, DraftKings. The Bills five point favorites, total at forty eight and a half. This is uh, the rematch of the game so that we saw in Monday Night Football. There. Yeah, there's five and a half. There's even six. There's a six at the South Point. Chris Andrews and Vinny yeah. Maiulo, those guys have a six uh, in that market. Obviously, uh, the last time we saw these two teams play, DeMar Hamlin, who's made great strides. He's been in the building with the Buffalo Bills uh, daily is what has been reported, which is awesome, awesome news from what we saw January uh, 2nd uh, when that when he went into cardiac arrest there. But now the game will be played in Buffalo between these two teams. Both teams, Michael, I think, kind of limping into the divisional round after what we saw Sunday. Yeah. I mean, if Buffalo doesn't go back to their six-back offense, I, I, I think they have a really good chance to lose. And I don't think Cincinnati's the same team as they were last year. The kicker's not as hot. The offensive line is actually worse than it was last year, mm -hmm. if that's even possible. But, you know, I mean, Ted Karras is really the only guy survived from all the changes they made. I mean, Williams, how is Williams going to play with a bad knee? He's not, you know, like he's no. got a dislocated kneecap. Like, I mean... I know he's listed as doubtful, but I mean, how yeah. how would he even play, or could he move? No, we we so, can we can report that now. He's not playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like seriously, if he does, it's probably a blessing for Buffalo. Buffalo hasn't been able to run the passer, rush the passer mm -hmm. like they need to. Cincinnati will move the ball. What what do we have? What are we on the over under here? What are 48 we forty eight? Yeah, forty eight. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think both teams can move the ball. I don't think Buff Buffalo, but Buffalo isn't as skilled as people think they are. Like they miss McKenzie. Mm -hmm. Think about this, Femi, what, what, from being in the league. When you're signing Cole Beasley and you're bringing back John Brown, that's not because you think you you know they still have a lot left in the tank. That's because you're desperate. You're not courageous. You're desperate. And so when you're doing that, you're telling everybody we're really unhappy with our receivers other than Diggs. Now, what people forget about when Diggs played in the Kansas City game, I think he had three catches for seven yards the last in Kansas City in the, in the, in the high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Davis had 200 yards, and that was the offense. It was it was Allen running and Gabriel Davis making explosive plays. If Allen doesn't run and you take away Gabriel Davis and, and you limit some of this other, you know, digs from playing, 
But you can't do what Boyer did in the in the game last week. Oh, Xavier Howard, you got him even though you can't cover him. Like, you can't do that. You can't be that stupid. This is the hardest game for me, I think, honestly, from a betting standpoint. I have not bet the game. I'm probably not going to bet the game because – it's those two units that I think are going to really be under the microscope. That Cincinnati offensive line, which is very banged up, and then that Buffalo pass rush that is non-existent. I mean, Miami's offensive line was banged up last Sunday, and they didn't take and advantage of it. Yeah, they didn't and take blocked it, them they, for the most part. Exactly. So everyone's making this whole thing about oh, no Lyle Collins, no Alex Kappa, no Jonah Williams. Well, is Buffalo going to take advantage of that? We haven't seen that to be true. And there's a reason why they went out and got Von Miller in the offseason was for games like this. Now that you don't have him, I don't know if they can get pressure. And if you try to dial up the blitz against Joe Burrow, good luck. <laughs> good luck yeah. with that. I mean, like, he's like, going to throw it. I mean, they, can't co- they cannot cover. Let me just say this. I don't give a shit if they have Tredarius White. I don't care who they are. They can't cover any of these three receivers with any of their corners. They just yeah. can't. They're going to be open. Can yeah. he get them the football? Is it a five Mississippi game or a three Mississippi game? That's what it's going to come down to. I have it as a 2.36 game. The line's five and a half. You get some six. Look, if Buffalo comes out and they let and, and they decide that Josh Allen is going to be the he's got to carry the team and we're going to run him and we're mm-hmm. going to play you know do a little bit of that. Okay, I got it. But if he turns it over and he's and he's not the main guy running, they're vulnerable. That's what I think as well. I, I think Buffalo wins a close game, but it feels like a field goal game either way. Six, now that it's at the South Point, I'm going to have to take a long, hard look at Cincinnati. I don't want to bet this game, but if it's six, six and a half, I think Bengals is the side for me. But Buffalo, I think, will go ahead and advance. Final game of the weekend, 3.30 West Coast time, 6.30 East Coast time. This is the game that I'll be glued to Sunday afternoon. Oh, yeah, with your pom-poms. <laughs> Assuming you get away from the Playboy magazine that you're looking at with Trey Lance, you know, assuming you can steer yourself away from that. We'll save you know? that for the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers and our show sponsor, DraftKings Niners, three and a half point favorites. But there's some fours out there in the market as well. Total sitting at 46. Mike, what do you make of this matchup? Well, look, I think that, you know, I mean, it's all going to come down to can Dallas not make a mistake? Mm-hmm. You know, and a mistake is if they let Maher try to field goal at, at 34 yards and he misses it, that's a turnover. That's a mistake. So you got to be careful there. Yeah. And, you know, Dallas has got to stop the run. They've got to put some pressure on Purdy. And they've got to force San Francisco to kind of play a little bit from behind. Force them to get into a play-action pass game. Hard to do. Uh, a, a drop-back pass game. Hard to do. Yep. I think it's a really close game. I have it as a 1.13 game. I think Dallas can upset him. I really do. I know Stephen A is going to have thinks he's got his cowboy hat already, <laughs> you know, but look, Dallas is the dog is in the per- nobody expects much. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to be able to put five or six plays together. You can't you're not going to get one play for 30 yards. You're going to get 5 yards. I mean, Seattle moved the football on them last year in the first half. They moved it in the second half. It's 24-17. They're driving back down the field, right? They're driving back down the field. They fumble. Now it's 31-17. They don't hold serve. But say that say Seattle would have held them or got a turnover there and made it 24-24. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a different game. Seattle moved the football on them. Seattle moved it on them. And if they play man-to-man, which I don't think the 49ers want to do, like they try to do against Metcalf, these receivers will win on the outside. So, you know, I'm – if you take Dallas, you're putting a lot of faith in my man here in the basement in Des Moines and in Kellen Moore, which I don't always have a lot of. But there's a way for Dallas to win this game. There is a way for Dallas to win this game. 
Yeah. And it's it's really is it's it stems from the what the Raiders tried to do, what Seattle tried to do. It's those areas. And if they can do that, you know, they got a chance. Now, last time they played, San Francisco got in the playoff game, 10 nothing, mm-hmm. and Dallas's offensive line couldn't block them. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the Niners controlled the line of scrimmage in that last game. They bullied them. I still have uh, nightmares of Connor Williams getting ragdolled all up and down Jerry World that game last year. But I, I, I took the points with Dallas. I took the plus four. Of course you did. Because and and it's not just because I'm a homer and anything like that. Like I've I've bet against the Cowboys before. Like it's that's that's yeah. fine and dandy for me. It's my money is money. But I I really do think that Dallas has a Super Bowl caliber ceiling. Now over the past month or so, we didn't see that, and that's why a lot of people thought that Tampa Bay was live to upset them. I bet Dallas against Tampa Bay. I laid the two and a half, and I sat back and watched a, an easy winner. Uh, in that game. So it's not that I think that Dallas is just this undervalued team, but I do think that a lot of people still have four to five weeks of bad tape that the Cowboys put out there in their minds. But if you speak to any of the odds makers out here in Las Vegas, at one point this regular season, and like around that November time, Dallas was the number one rated team in the NFC. They said that I have the Cowboys rated over the Eagles, over the Niners, over all these teams. So they do have that ceiling. And I think these two teams are just evenly matched. They're a little bit closer than people think. So the four, in my opinion, was valuable, getting it over a field goal. I think the Niners could win this by three. I think Dallas could pull the upset, like you mentioned as well. But one thing that will drive me crazy on Sunday is if we see the Cowboys go to this spread Big 12 offense and they're letting Nick Bosa go one-on-one with Tyler Smith, the rookie, or they're letting him go one-on-one with Tyron Smith on the right side, that's where the Cowboys could lose this game. You got to, like, we've talked about playing the Cooper Rush offense under center, using the tight ends. I think that's how Dallas can win. They keep this thing close to the vest, make timely plays, get ahead of the Niners, make Purdy come back from behind, let Micah Parsons go after him. I think Dallas can pull off the upset. And I'm going to pick it, Michael. I'm going to say the Cowboys win the game, and we'll get Cowboys Eagles NFC title game. There you go. You'll get your playmate of the year right there. The, the thing I think it's, the thing I think nobody's talking about, I mean, first of all, Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn. Yep. I mean, they practiced against each. I mean, you know, if Dan Quinn doesn't know how Kyle thinks, then he hasn't paid attention. I'm sure he has. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's going to go and how they utilize their skill set, you know, and and what they do. They'll have they'll have a harder time blocking Dallas than people think they will because if Dallas can play with some power, if you can play with a little bit of power, you know, and they can match up. Now you got to tackle the talent. That's the yes, problem. Yes. You got to tackle the talent. I mean, yep. it, as much as we talk about Purdy. When he gets the ball to Samuel or he gets the ball to McCaffrey or he gets the ball to Ayuk or Skittle, it's one thing that they get the ball. It's another thing that they gain more yards after they get it. you got to mm-hmm. tackle the talent. That's going to be the key number on Monday morning is how many yards after the catch yeah. do the Cowboys limit in this game. That's the number one thing that Dan Quinn's got to preach. They're going to make their plays. we got to tackle them when they get their plays. And best believe Kyle Shanahan saw that tape of Trayvon Diggs missing tackles Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're going to scheme this thing for Diggs to have to tackle. And and that yeah. that that scares me a little bit there. But if they can make their tackles and limit those big plays, I think Dallas has more than a puncher's chance to pull off the upset. All right, that does it for us this week on the podcast. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos uh, as always. And, Michael, thank you to you, buddy. Thank you, thank you my man. Yeah, we'll talk next week. We'll get your book back out. We'll see. We'll get what's going on. We'll get that Trey Lance book out. We'll we'll peel you away from it. <laughs> we're not closing the book just yet. There's some chapters. No, that, no, God knows we're not. You know, some chapters God that are left to be written. I'll see you Monday. Right. <laughs> bye bye.